morning. Good? Somebody said they're tired? How could you be tired? Oh my. Hey, we had a, uh, we had an awesome, awesome time yesterday morning. I guess I'll back up even just a few hours and say we had an awesome time Friday night <clears throat> after a huge homecoming win. And I don't throw a lot of plugs in there for uh, football too much, but um, I want to say this because it does, a, it does have to deal with a, a couple of young guys in our congregation that, uh, that Josiah, Josiah has just done a great job this year and he's looking at me like, please don't say anything about me playing football, please, please. He doesn't know whether to call me pastor or coach. It's all the same. But the other one, and I don't think he's here. Is Silas here? There he is. Silas Warren and Josiah Whittakin, two of our kids that here in this church that are playing football. Silas, how many years did you play football before this year? None. Can you tell us what happened last night? Or Friday night? Yeah, Silas got his first start on varsity. And we, we, tell, we tell these kids, you know, you have to be prepared, like, regardless, you know, regardless of where you may be playing one week, like, you need to be prepared. Well, Silas got thrown into a situation where we had some kids that got injured, another kid was sick, and uh, we're, we're, we're reaching down and grabbing these kids that have never played before, and uh, he did a great job, held his own in the middle, um, doing a great job, and, and uh, I don't want to overshadow Josiah because he's one of our super steady guys, and uh, you even got a little action on Friday night, didn't you? You look at me like, please don't talk about Friday night. <laughs> please don't talk about Josiah's doing a great job, so Silas, and uh, we had a great time Friday night. Then, <clears throat> turn around, and uh, Saturday morning, we had an awesome time. We had a, a, a rogue chef, or should I say a chef from the Rogue River, um, come and help uh, Cooked breakfast for us, and then Brock led the discussion, and he talked about he talked about this uh, idea of uh, what is it what is it that catches you in a snare? Shared some of his own snare stories, and uh, but what is it that catches you in a snare? What sin is it that kind of catches you in a snare? And I only wanted to say that one. I want to appreciate the breakfast and and uh, of course the discussion. Uh, but I wanted to say it kind of as a, a tee-up for today's passage, uh, because <clears throat> today's passage can be a massive trap. It can be a massive trap. And I'm going to tell you, uh, we've all been affected by some of the traps that are out there for us when we're single, when we're thinking about marriage. Uh, we've all been uh, in some way affected, some of us more than others. I think as parents, we would kind of desire... That, uh, that we would help our kids avoid these traps that are out there uh, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to you know, sexual intimacy and a lot of those types of things. So what are some of those traps that are out there? Hey, I'm going to tell you, I'll be the first to confess. Like, I fell into these traps. For me, that was one of my major traps. And you guys have, have uh, heard the story before, heard the testimony before, but, and I'm not here to glorify it. I'm here to actually take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good so that somehow you guys would be encouraged or other people would be encouraged to avoid that snare, avoid those traps. And we're going to jump right into it. Last week, though, just by way of review, we talked about the idea of contentment. 
And that's there in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. Paul inserts it. It seems almost oddly out of place. But I think what he's really driving at here and what the Holy Spirit is inspiring to, to him to say is be content with where God has you. Be content with where God has you. And, and at, we ended the service. Uh, we ended the service. I, I wanted to share, well, I used one illustration of how, uh, and somebody asked me like later this week, did you actually buy the washing machine and dryer? I talked about this idea of, you know, washing. We bought the washing machine and dryer. We haven't gotten it home yet. In fact, I will say, uh, that was on last Sunday. On Monday morning, I come. I usually go out, do a bunch of work, come back in. Tammy will cook breakfast. We'll we'll uh, uh, have breakfast. When I come back in the door, I open up the kitchen door, and she says, "How's your contentment level today?" I said, "Well, so far this morning, it's pretty good. Why? Because the washing machine is locked with clothes in it, and I all of my work clothes, my work jeans, which." I don't like to work without my work jeans. It's just not right. Like, no guy likes to work without his work jeans. They're all in the washing machine, locked. She can't get it to do anything. She can't get the door unlocked. So they're all sitting in there with a little extra soak. Eventually she figured it out, but she was asking me, how's your contentment this morning? Yeah. Uh I don't not farm without pants on. I'm just going to say that. If anybody's been in a wheat field or in a hay field, you don't wear shorts to the hay field. That doesn't work. Unless the cows are out and you're headed to the lake and you've got to put them in. But uh, My contentment level actually at that point was I was thinking, well, hmm. So I don't know. I, I was kind of like, uh, I guess it was okay. Well, I told her that. I said, uh, I said, Betty, I said. <coughs> yeah. I told her, I said, I'm telling you, my contentment's fine, but I need those jeans. And so if it takes a crowbar and a hammer, we're going to get them out of there. If I got to cut them out with a sawzall, knowing that we're getting a different washing machine and dryer. Okay. Now that everybody that wasn't here last week's caught up on all of our um, domestic issues. We did end last week with this idea, though, uh, when it comes to contentment, and it's a great one I wanted to kind of tee up for this morning, is um, <clears throat> both Tammy and I had the same similar experience in our relationship with the Lord prior to meeting one another. And like I mentioned at the end of last week's service, we, we had dated, you know, and, uh, and we didn't know each other. She's from back east. I'm from right here, literally. And... Uh, but we both got to kind of that same spot. There's, a, there's a kind of a funny twist to our story because <clears throat> I was real close to going and playing baseball at the same college that Tammy went to in Kansas. And I, I, we kind of joke about it. She would not have ever married me had I gone there then because uh, I was a different person. I was, a diff- I was in a different spot completely. You know, I wasn't, I was acting like I was following God, and I was the hypocrite. I was the one that was acting one way on a Friday night or Saturday night, and I was doing something different on Sunday morning. Daniel shared his testimony a few weeks ago. He's over here shaking his head. He knows exactly, and you know exactly what that's like. We all know what that's like. And so, I think it's God's providence that I didn't go to Central College 
in the fall of 1989 because she did and she wouldn't have liked the mark then that she found and God put together for her a few years later. And, and there was a lot of change in me. There was a lot of change in her at that time as well. But we ended up both at, at this spot. We were content with our relationship just with the Lord. We didn't have to have somebody on our, on our arm. We didn't have to be in a relationship. Uh, we were both kind of patiently waiting. All right, God, who, who would you have for us? It, it's good to ask that question. Uh, and <clears throat> but it wasn't... Um, we weren't walking the normal social path that we had walked before where it was um, a have to. We were waiting for the Lord's blessing. I wanted to end, uh, I wanted to kind of tee up this sermon with that idea as we go into it. Um, I also want to say this, is that it's critical as you read through these verses that we do this, that we remember the context of this section. It's for those that are unmarried. It's that some of your, it's not inspired, but some of your Bibles probably have a superscript at the top or a little you know, bold heading that says for the unmarried and the widows. Uh, <clears throat> that's just a little extra idea of context. It, but it's important that we remember that. Otherwise, you can, take and, and, uh, you can take some of these verses and take them out of context and insert them into areas of your life that, that was not intended. It wasn't what Paul was talking about. And so we have to be very careful with that. And we're going we're gonna to move quickly through. There's five things, really, that we want to look through. And we're going to actually get all the way through chapter 7 today. Uh, some of you might have that in the back of your mind. When is this guy going to get to chapter 8? Uh, next week. Next week. Let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25, and look at this idea that your purity, that my purity is a priority to the Lord. Paul says this, he says, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment for the, <clears throat> from the Lord, yet I give judgment as to one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. So he doesn't necessarily, he's inspired to write this by the Holy Spirit, but he's admitting, like, there's not like some, you know, particular revelation, yet we have to also consider that this is authoritative in our lives simply because of who inspired him to write it. And Paul rightly categorizes this group of people as virgins, those that have not engaged in sexual immorality. He says, you're, you're virgins. That's, that's what you're called. Men, women, it doesn't matter. And that's really God's expectation. That's God's expectation that we wait until after marriage to experience sexual intimacy. You know, <clears throat> a lot comes to mind. A lot comes to my mind as I share this with you because many of you know my story that that wasn't, that wasn't where I ended up. And so I can, I can identify, if you will, with those that didn't wait. At the same time, that doesn't, that doesn't hold me back from encouraging people to wait. In fact, it actually is what propels me to speak out about it even more. And here's why. And here's why. Because Jesus has forgiven me for that sin. And I can walk in the newness of life. I can walk fresh and new. I don't have to be ashamed of that. I don't have to carry that guilt. I don't have to carry those memories. I don't have to carry that baggage with me because I'm free in Christ. 
And I'm actually not just free in Christ, but I'm inspired then by Christ to speak out even more about it. Hey, avoid. And you know that this is true, especially if you've got a little age on you. You know it's true. You parent your kids largely by saying, watch out for that pothole. Watch out for this rocky spot in life. Don't go there, right? Those are good words of encouragement. If you're younger and your parents are talking to you in that type of language, uh, pay attention. Pay attention to what they're saying. They have a few miles on them, right? They got a few years, a little experience. They know what they're talking about. And so I'm, exp- I'm really encouraged, uh, in a sense, in the Lord to speak up about this, knowing my own history even. See, there's a, a stark contrast in our culture as to what's going on here. In the biblical times, uh, <coughs> marriages were almost exclusively prearranged. And uh, some of you are looking at me like, oh, where, are you, where are you going with the prearrangement stuff? There's principles to a prearranged marriage uh, that are lost, lost in our society. They're completely lost. Uh, Today's society is, is, is everything different. Now, did they, not have, did they not sin then? Absolutely they did. Was there struggles then? Absolutely there were. But there was some components that are, components that are alive today, I think, that, that uh, really make it difficult to go the long haul for people in marriage. Prearranged marriages, require, uh, they require this. They require on the front end for you to, to kind of uh, front load this relationship with tons of commitment. You think about it. The, the, the fella's job was to, you know, put a home together. Either build one, buy one, somehow acquire a home. To have a job. Uh, to have the money that was necessary to get started in life in a new marriage. That was his job. And so it took time. This wasn't something that just happened. They were working on this actually all the while they were, you, these kids were being raised up. It wasn't something that they waited until, oh, there's a gal, let's start an arrangement, then I go to work. No, they were working towards it at young ages. They were working towards their own future at young ages. And so they're in their minds and in their action, there was a lot of commitment moving in a direction. Today's society is really backwards from that. Today's society, well, before I move on, I want to put it this way. The essence of kind of the prearranged marriages is the sexual intimacy was predicated already on a lifestyle of commitment. They had a lifestyle of commitment. They were moving towards it. They stepped to the altar. They made their marriage covenant. They said their vows. Off they went. The sexual intimacy then was, was uh, came later. Today's society, today's society is exactly the opposite. And, and we all know that this is true. We all know that this is true. That the idea for today's society is the opposite, and it takes away this expectation in a sense, and it leans and it bends us away from the expe- expectation that purity is a priority because in today's hookup culture, the idea there is, is that you would meet somebody you would, you would get physical in your relationship, then discern, is this the person I want to be committed to? Is this person committed to me? That's what's going on in our, in our culture. 
And in today's culture specifically, especially with the younger generations, uh, a little tidbit, what the girls are largely looking for is a male version of their best friend. They're looking for a male version of their best friend. Guys, we're oriented differently. We're wired differently. We're still, you know, hardwired in a certain way. Attraction. uh, Everything kind of goes through the eyes in that sense. But the girls are looking for kind of a male version of their best friend. And it's a dangerous place to be. There's little to no prep. People date. They sleep together in an effort to see who's the right one, who gives them the right vibe, who gives them the tingles, who it is. And, and so it's all based upon that experience. And then they're wondering if there's a commitment. In today's culture, a, you know, a young couple can, can sleep together for three, four, five months or whatever. And she gets excited five months later when he finally says, I love you. When he finally gives, him a, gives her a statement of commitment. And that's what really fires her up. So what happens in our culture is rather backwards from the biblical precepts of prearranged marriage. What happens in our culture is the commitment becomes predicated on the sexual fulfillment. And God's expectation is that we remain pure till our wedding night. And God's love and forgiveness is there to restore those that have fallen into sin in this area and I'm here to tell you I'm one of those and a great friend of mine walked through this you know five six seven years after I did in the same fashion like like his relational life was a mirror image of mine looking up to me as a big brother oh I gave him an example to follow all right I'm not proud of that but as we were as I was encouraging him to repent and to come out of that and as he was receiving God's forgiveness and walking in a fresh and a new way and abandoning his life of sin, he made a statement to me that is both funny, I think, but, but really, really true. And he told me one day, he says, you know what? He says, I, I, I know what I've done, but I've no Jesus forgiveness. And I'm here standing before you to tell you, I'm a born-again virgin. That's what his words to me. I'm a born-again virgin. I know what I've done, But I also know that Christ has set me free from that sin. That Jesus has relinquished that in my life. And I want to walk fresh and new in Him the way that He wants me to from here forward. And that's exactly what He's done. Have they struggled in their marriage over time? Absolutely. Have they needed some confrontation? Have they needed, has He needed confronted because of of His lack of being a leader at times? Absolutely. Oddly enough, the Lord used me in a few times there to bring some of that confrontation. Say, hey, get your head on straight. Like you are walking away from God. You're walking away from your wife. Get your head on straight. And again, he bowed the knee and he repented of the sin that he was in. And he got right with the Lord and he got right with his wife and their marriage is great today. It's not because of me. It's just simply the fact he had a sensitivity to do what was right even in the midst of his sin. It's a beautiful story, really. Regardless of your situation, if you're looking to get married, you need a few things. Parents, if you, knowing that you're raising your kids who 
most of us get married. There's very few really that remain single. Uh, singleness is not necessarily bad, the Bible says. Um, it's actually good. Paul's actually kind of, you would think that he's kind of encouraging everybody to be single, and we'll get into those verses here in a minute. But there's a few things that are definitely needed in each one situation, especially if you have an eye towards marriage. And here they are, kind of bullet points straight out. Be active in the preparation and commitment long before you find somebody. Be active in your own preparation before the Lord and be active in that commitment long before that Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright comes along. Be active in it. Prepare. Be committed. Have a mindset of commitment. Be praying for your future spouse and their own spiritual growth. See, that's what, for Tammy and I, that's what wouldn't have been there if I would have went straight to the same college that she was at. I wasn't doing these things. I was living everything exactly the opposite. But when the Lord got a hold of me in 1990, that next spring, all of this started to change. And as I grew spiritually, these were the types of things that I started to see in the Bible that I needed to be a part of that I wasn't being a part of that I wasn't embracing. So be praying for your future spouse and their, their own spiritual growth. So I started to pray, Lord, you know, whoever you have for me, if I'm to be married, you know, I, uh, I know that you call me to, to marry a godly woman. You know, must be a believer. Must be, all caps. Must be a believer. If I'm a believer, I need to marry a believer. Paul says that at the very end of this chapter as well. In the case of death and remarriage. Only in the Lord is the phrase that he uses. You know, and so I started praying for her spiritual growth. The third thing is, is be growing spiritually yourself, right? It's not all about you putting your focus on the other person. It's you putting your focus on your own spiritual walk and, and saying, Lord, grow me, grow me. I need to be growing. I need to be, I need, I need to be active in my faith. I need to be growing in my faith, seeking the Lord constantly. Then the last one is kind of broken out a little bit. But understand God's plan for a husband and a wife. What their roles, responsibilities, and duties really are. I want to touch on this just for a minute, then we'll move quickly through uh, the next passage. But future husbands here in this room, or present husbands, maybe you're not operating in this way, I'd encourage you to search the scriptures. You'll see plenty of examples of these. Husbands, you're the priest, the prophet, and the king of your home. That's the way that God looks at your role. That's the way he's designed your role. When I say priest, I say that the husband is to represent the family before the Lord. When I say use the word prophet, it's the other way. You're representing the Lord before your family. And if you're not ready to represent the Lord before your family, be active in, in every aspect of the spiritual walk of your wife and your future kids, you're probably not ready. You're probably not ready. But you have to represent the Lord before the family. You will stand before the, before the Lord on behalf of your family, but you also need to represent the Lord before your family. And then the king is broken up with these words. Again, this sermon is uh, brought to you by the letter P, and you'll see that in the idea of purity. And, uh, but the idea of king is your role, husband, is, is to preside, provide, and protect your family. To preside, to provide, 
and to protect your family. That's your role. That's the way that God has hardwired you. That's why you have bigger bones. That's why you have the ability, men, to compartmentalize issues when there's trauma because it's a matter of I need to like not think about this and I need to focus on this because this is what's the most important thing right now. And men can do it way better. Women, you're, you're incredibly gifted at bringing all these emotions into one view and to talk from one to the next to this, and to a guy's ears, it's kind of like, but you ladies know exactly what you're talking about because you're wired differently. You're wired differently than us guys. Amen. I love it. I love it. And I love the fact that I can compartmentalize. Are you ready to lead your family? Are you ready to provide for your family? And are you ready to protect your family? Young fellas that are thinking about marriage, uh, these three things are key in this way, is that it's very easy in our culture to shift those duties over to your future wife, and she becomes overloaded in roles and responsibilities that are not really hers to carry and it'll sink a marriage if you're not careful am I saying that a woman should not work or be in the workplace absolutely I'm not saying that I'm not saying that I think that those discernments are between you and your husband ladies and the Lord as to what he would have for you to do I think actually if you look at Proverbs 31 that lady that's, that's identified there, is very active in the marketplace, very involved in business. She's not shying away. She's not hiding out in the closet, making sure that the far corners, you know, just spotless every single day. But by and large, men, this role is yours. Wives, um, you're the, you should be the queen of the home. Guys, we should see our, our wives and, and future husbands, you should see your future wife as the queen of your home. Queen of your home. Now, <clears throat> a practice that was always encouraged uh, after reading and listening to Andy Andrews' book, uh, but we kind of struggled with this, but I'm going to throw it out there. Even though it was a struggle for me that I didn't always do this, or Robbie and I didn't always do this, uh, but I would encourage those of you, especially with boys in the home, is to wait for your wife, wait for mom, before you're seated at the table. We've talked about this at large. Tammy's like, hey, and you know, it's, it seemed a little self-serving. I wouldn't say that that was her idea, but uh, there's a respect level for mom and for wife that can be clearly exhibited. Clearly exhibited. It's just the same as opening a, lo- a door for a lady. Now, in our culture, you're going to have some ladies that say, what, you some kind of chauvinist? You don't think I can open a door? Whatever. Like, if you want to open your own door, I'm just trying to be nice, you know? Just be nice. That's what I would tell her anyway. I'm just being nice. Why don't you try it on? Right? Be courteous. Be courteous. It starts right at home, though, as we teach and train our boys to be courteous to their mother, to see their mother as the queen of the home. Ladies, you're your husband's helpmate in all things. In all things. Uh, we have the distinct advantage, I guess you would say this way, that we get to work together. 
we get to share the load of running a farm. And Tammy's component in that is, is critical uh, to the operation. And so, <laughs> I joke about this, but there really is some truth to it. So for Mother's Day, I bought her a very expensive swather. And, and guys are laughing, thinking, yeah, right, you know, you're big on the swather. Uh, the thing is, is I don't want her job to be harder by running an old piece of equipment that breaks down. So was there something, you know, kind of self-gratifying in having a nicer swather? Well, this was like six years ago, so seven years ago. Uh, absolutely there was. I won't joke about that. But I want her job to be easier. I want her part of the load to be easier. So if we can put her in a piece of equipment where she can just go or do her thing and not have to stress about getting out and trying to get the thing unstuck or, you know, trying to fix a breakdown, uh, that's a part of it. But husbands, uh, we have to see that our wives and ladies, we need to see you, that your job is to be your husband's helpmate in all things. This is all stuff that should go into the preparation part. Remember, we're still talking about the unmarried here. Of course, there's application for all of us. And of course, ladies, the part that you guys shine at the most is your uh, aspect that you get to do the majority of the nurturing and the early formation, if not most of the formation, of our kids. And that can't be understated enough. I know we're a long ways away from Mother's Day here. But the reality is, is that's true. And that's part of how God's created you. That's part of how God's created you. He's, he's created you to be nurturing, to be loving, to you're the ones that work the most at teaching these little, these little tykes how to take a step or how to say their first words. That's part of God, how God has wired you. And uh, I want to say before we move on <coughs> uh, that our culture in all of these things in all of these aspects, husband and wife, our culture largely wants to outsource those to somebody else. You need to guard against that. You need to guard against the idea that you can outsource the roles and responsibilities that God has placed on, on husbands and on wives, that you can outsource them to another, to somebody else. Uh, don't fall into that snare. Paul goes on to say, verse 26, we've only got one verse, we've got to hustle. Paul goes on to say, I suppose therefore that this is a good, this is good because of this present distress, that it's good for a man to remain as he is. This present distress that he was talking about, the difficult times that Paul was talking about, uh, this, there was persecution breaking out in Corinth, actually all over the, the, uh, <coughs> the Roman world there, uh, that there was persecution specifically against Christians. And, and Paul's saying, hey, uh, be careful, right? Relationally, be careful. Know where you're going. Know what God has called you to. And then be careful. Difficult things are coming. So we need to be prepared to live in stressful times. That was his message to the Corinthians church. Be prepared to live in stressful times. And he asked these questions. He says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loose from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. Now, th some of these questions could be taken out of context 
if we don't remember that he's talking about young people. He's talking about the unmarried and the widows, the unmarried people that have never been married, and the widows, somebody, a man or wife, that has lost a spouse, where their spouse has died. And so he's, he's saying, in a sense, he's talking about, are you bound to a wife? These are questions for the engaged, because in the biblical times, your engagement was binding. It was legally binding. And so are you bound to a wife? Don't, don't seek to get out of the engagement, right? This is how important it is, is that when we step into these relationships, that we know that it's permanent. We have to really weigh whether this is God's plan and purpose and purpose and person for you. So are you bound for a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. You know, move forward. Are you loosed from a wife? Are you not engaged? Uh, or has it been broken off for some reason? Don't, you know, don't spend all your time seeking that. In other words, don't focus on that is what he's saying. But even if you do marry then, even if it does happen, even if God brings the right person to you, uh, go ahead, marry. You've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, so he's talking about widows there. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned either. He just wants you to know, and he wants all of us to know, really, that uh, there's difficult times ahead. There's difficult times ahead. It's not sinful to get married. Not in this situation. But we just have to be aware that marriage brings on a particular set of stresses. Now, third point. There's pressures, there's stress, there's pressures of the married life. Verse 29 says this, But this I say, brethren, that the time is short, so that from now on even those who who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. Paul's not saying that we abdicate our responsibility. He's not saying that we, we don't embrace the roles and responsibilities. He's simply saying this. Time is short, right? Time is short. And we have to keep our eye on the fact that time is short. And he wants us to be this in verse 32. He wants us, he says, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Okay? So when we take on young men, young ladies, when you take on a spouse, you're going to be serving, in a sense, in two capacities. You have two ministries, in a sense, that way. You have the ministry before the Lord, and you have the ministry to your spouse. Paul's simply saying that in these difficult days that they lived in, and I would venture to say the exact same for today, uh, that (coughs) we need to be cognizant of the fact that, that this is a reality for us, and it takes extra attention. It takes extra attention in our married life. It takes extra attention to be focused on the Lord and the spouse. The question that remains on the table that then I ask, and I even ask it of myself, all right, where am I riding with not enough margin in life to do that? What area of my life, what, what is there that needs to go to create more time to accomplish 
the, the top two priorities, my relationship with the Lord and my relationship with Tammy. What is it that, and we need to guard against that, man. We need to guard against that. And, and, and you can fill in the blank with your own hobbies or your own interests or th- your own distractions. I'm not saying that hobbies and interests are bad. I'm simply saying that if there's not enough margin, enough time in life, in your daily or weekly life to accomplish the things that need to be accomplished if you're married, then something needs to go, and we're out of balance. And I'll be the first one to stand up here and say, I struggle with this because I'm busy all the time. And, and my wife knows it, and she knows that I know it. She knows that I know that she knows it, which is probably the most important part of it, Right? If you're single, you have more free time to serve the Lord. If you're married, you're serving the Lord while serving one another. And you're also raising the next generation. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin, he says in verse 34. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be, <clears throat> be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So the kind of the, the his and hers version of the same thing that he said in the previous verse. And I say this to your own prophet. I say this to your own prophet. Uh, Paul is, is trying to encourage them that there's a benefit here in what he's saying. And not a restriction. And that's his next phrase. Not that I would may put a leash on you, not that he was trying to restrict them and say, may, and he wasn't saying, don't get married at all. He's saying, I'm not putting that leash on anybody. Simply encouraging us that we could serve the Lord without distraction. There's a many of uh, starry-eyed newlyweds or soon-to-be newlyweds that don't count the cost of being married. God's not saying that it's better to be single. He's simply saying it's different. He's simply saying it's different. They're both good. They both have their advantages. But they also come with different sets of, of uh, peculiarities and struggles and strains and pressures and stress. He's not saying one is better than the other. He's simply saying they're different. And if you don't know the difference before you get married... Give it about three years and you will find out, right? It happens quick. It happens quick. Paul also makes this point. He essentially makes this statement is to have a purposeful intentions either way. Pick it up in verse 36. But if a man thinks that he's behaving improperly towards his virgin, in other words, the father of a... a, uh, single woman, if she has passed the flower of her youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. Nevertheless, who stands fat, steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does even better. The encouragement here is to make a purposeful, have purposeful intentions. Notice the uh, intentionality of the father's role in the life of his daughter, men, husbands, fathers. You notice the intentionality by which Paul is 
specifically writing to you men, to all of us. Five tips for the Father. In fact, before I even go there, I want to say that, uh, <clears throat> and we have an upcoming wedding. I think the uh, easiest spot in the, and I've shared this before, the easiest spot in any wedding party is the father of the groom. The father of the groom. You just have to be dressed halfway sharp and stand around and look cute. Like, there's, uh, like your work is kind of done at that point. Maybe there's a prayer that you're involved in, and I'm being a little facetious. The father of the bride's role is uh, a little different. Five tips for the father. The doorway to a lady's heart, to an unmarried lady's heart, is through her father. We get that? Our culture does not believe that this principle is true. They largely think that if you can uh, kind of hijack a girl away, it's just you two and away you go. Biblically speaking, in these verses that we just read, kind of prove that out. They kind of bear out that principle that the doorway to a young lady's heart is through her father. And dads must rise to the occasion and lead their daughters in this way. Because sons, biblically, they leave and cleave, but a daughter is given away. A daughter is given away. And so the daughter is the one that comes up. She's the, she's the one in the white dress. She's the one that is escorted up the aisle to be given over and into a new relationship to come under a new headship of leadership and, and, and become one with somebody else. She's the one that's handed over. The principles of this can't be stated enough, especially in our culture. The world that we live in has a lot of different views on this. So it leads us to this point is don't settle for poor character in a potential suitor. Don't settle for poor character in a potential suitor. I'm going to uh, jump out of the pages of my notes and speak just from our own experience. Uh, those of you that know us uh, very well know that we have three kids, Michaela, Morgan, and Robbie. Uh, Michaela is married to Jonathan, Dennis and Marion's youngest son. Robbie is married to Katie, Cindy's oldest daughter, and Morgan's still single. When we saw a little spark, and there's a lot of backstory of how God put all these components together, and we ended up coming to church here, and the next thing you know, a year or two went by, and you start noticing these kids and where their focus is, because it's often not sitting here listening to, at that time, Earl Nash preach, Oftentimes you would catch a, gl- a, a, a look and one kid's looking over at the other kid. It's the strangest thing. And we started to notice that about Jonathan and Michaela. Somebody's not paying, there's two, there's two people not paying attention to those sermons and it was those two. And I'm just being a little uh, facetious here. But <clears throat> as the relationship grew, uh, obviously my role was is to lead Michaela in that, she had not ha- been in any other dating relationship with anybody else. And, uh, and so they started to spend a little more time. Guess, guess where the Hopkins ended up? We ended up at the All Wines for a couple of dinners here and there, maybe a 
birthday party and then guess where the Allwines ended up out at the Hopkins farm for a few parties and a birthday here and a celebration there and this thing started to grow. Well, what goes on behind the scenes is in my rule is I'm analyzing this young man. I'm analyzing. I want to know. I want to watch his walk with the Lord. I want to see what he believes. I wanted to see how he demonstrates his faith. I want to see uh, uh, <clears throat> what, how he worships. You can tell a lot about a person in how they worship. Not everything. Not every, I get that. Not everybody is really comfortable singing out or, or being very engaged. That's, it's not the telltale. But you can tell a lot of person about how, uh, 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 of what their spiritual walk is by how they engage in worshiping the Lord. I want to know about his walk with the Lord in regard to service. I wanted to know what values he was raised with, what things are important to him. Because the things that were important to him then, those foundational uh, truths of the faith that he embraced, those things are important to me if I'm going to hand my daughter over to somebody. And obviously it wasn't just all happened at a distance. Jonathan and I had multiple talks uh, I'm sure he was probably more nervous than I was, but I'll be honest with you. Uh, my posture was a bluff. <laughs> I was really nervous because we had never done this before, right? This is, the, this is the first one out of the gate. And so, you know, I'm actually really nervous. I don't, he's never said that he picked up on that. He just admitted, he goes, I'll just tell you, I'm really nervous. I'm like, oh, good. No, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'm trying to smooth it, you know smooth it over, butter it up a little bit. But we had a wonderful conversation. We had many wonderful conversations. And, uh, and he made his intentions very clear. He was straightforward. He was honest. He didn't have all the answers. And he admitted that. He didn't know where their future would lead him, whether it would be a, a life on the road as a concert pianist or if he'd do something different. But he was honest about those things. And, uh, you know, I just want to put that out a little bit. Just simply to say, fathers, you, you have to be straightforward. You have to be straightforward in analyzing your future son-in-laws. The last one on my list here is to be the type of man that you wish your daughter to marry. That probably should be at the top of the list. Be the type of godly man that you would want your daughter. Have that type of characteristic so she's used to and, 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 and she's used to being around that type of person. She's, she's engaged on a daily basis with a father that's demonstrating godly character, that's demonstrating Jesus in his life, that's living out that repentant lifestyle, that's, that's honest, an honest man, somebody that is uh, quick to seek forgiveness and give forgiveness. You know, and the list kind of goes, you, you guys can kind of fill in the blanks, but probably at the top of the list, be the type of husband and father especially that you would want your daughter to marry. It's critical. It's critical that they grow up in that environment. Let's move on a little bit. Because of communion, we'll wind this thing down because the fifth thing that Paul talks about in this passage is he circles back and really all of chapter 7 kind of is wrapped around these timeless principles when it comes to marriage. And so his closing remarks on this, uh, in regard to answering their questions about marriage, 
He really sums it up in just a few verses. Let's take a look at them. Verse 39, Paul says this, A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to him, to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Let's break that apart a little bit. What law, what law is Paul referring to? I asked this question actually when we were uh, studying through verses 10 and 11 in chapter 7. But what law is Paul referring to here? The Old Testament law, a New Testament law, or a different law? And I kind of left that question unanswered in the congregation. To get to this question, what law is he talking about? Is he taking him back into Judaism? Is something different said here? What did Jesus say about it? We've looked at all these different angles on the thing. I will give you my understanding. My understanding is, is that he's talking about the law of creation. He's talking about God's created order. And so a wife is bound, we looked at that word, as opposed to this idea of being in bondage. If you have a, uh, one spouse is a believer and the other one's not, we looked at that several weeks ago where it talks about you're not under bondage, you're not linked into the other person's sinful activity. But the idea of bound here, the word bound that's used is always, uh, it's, it's used in the context of our marriage bonds. It's the root word is where uh, the same word that they come kind of full circle through history, where you get the word glue. Where we get the word glue. And so there's a, there's a gluing together of the wife, and the wife, it says here, is bound by the law as long as her husband lives. I think that word law there goes to the law of creation. Jesus always referenced back to what God did in Genesis. A husband will leave his, or father, or <coughs> a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. The two will become one flesh. But if the husband dies, she's at the liberty to be married to whom she wishes with this caveat, only in the Lord. Only in the Lord. Now it's the second letter that Paul writes where he talks about being unequally yoked. Where there's the caution that goes out. Don't, and, and it's not just for marriage, but definitely can be applied to marriage. can be applied to a lot of different areas of our life. A lot of guys and guys circles are you know, in the business realm, we talk about not being unequally yoked. In other words, if you're a believer, you know, and you're going to partner up in business, you don't want to partner up in business with an unbeliever and that sort of thing. But it's true also in marriage. Only in the Lord is the restriction that, the, that God has for remarriage. We should marry inside the faith. Verse 40 says, but she is happier if she remains as she is according to my judgment. I also think that I have the Spirit of God. A little final notation for chapter 7 that Paul puts in here. Uh, definitely has the Spirit of God. If you read the sum of his writings. But as a summary for the whole chapter, Paul brings it into this conclusion. Uh, marriage is for life. Marriage is for life. And we're bound to our spouse for a lifetime. And it's at death that ends a marriage. That's why he says here that when a husband dies, the same is true for the other side. If a wife passes before the husband, they both have the liberty to be married again if they 
<clears throat> but they should marry a believer, of course. And there's liberty then to remarry. We live in a society that uh, has largely tried to redefine marriage in all kinds of ways. Before David comes up, and as he's preparing to come on up, because we're wrapping up here, I would like to, uh, I'd like to give us these admonitions prior to communion. Uh, that we need to stand for what God, the author of marriage, has to say. Be resolute about that. Like if you haven't gotten anything else out of these last four or five sermons, be resolute about what God says. Uh, the author of marriage, be resolute about what God has to say in regard to the subject. And this is our source. The Word of God is your source for those convictions. Not, you know, some hodgepodge of, of social norms, because those are constantly changing. Like we've came a long way in the social norms, even in the last couple of years, right? A long way. What's socially normal today uh, is going to be a distant memory. It's going to seem mild in another 10 years. So don't, you, you, can't, you can't play the, uh, the, the blended game when it comes to these convictions, when it comes to these uh, important topics. We need to stand for what God says we need to display and teach others what God says and what his intentions are for marriage. And we need to display godly marriages and teach our kids the same. Because if they don't get it from us, if your kids don't get from you, if they don't see demonstrated in front of them, if they don't see it not just from you, mom and dad, but if they don't see it in the, the community of people that you hang with. They don't see it in your friends. And, and I get it. We all have friends that, that uh, are in different places. This isn't, this isn't just it. I understand that. We have, uh, you know, <laughs> for every person that's in here, there's probably a hundred or more other people for each one of you that is influential probably in your kid's life. Maybe even more than that. But from the best source, mom and dad, working out from there, our kids need to see these principles demonstrated regularly. Regularly. All the time. They need to see that. And if they don't see that, off they go. Off they go. And they need to be drawn to those convictions in a good and a wholesome and in a healthy way. It can't be something that you can manufacture for your kids. But you can display for them. And kids, your parents, desire, I'll tell you, I could talk to every set of parents in here. There's not a single set of parents in this room that would say, yeah, I don't really care what happens to my kids, like whatever they want to do in their future. That ain't true. Nobody would say that that's true. So your kids want you to see. They want you to experience. And they want you to have a godly marriage. This is something that I believe is absolutely at critical mass right now in the society that we live in. Top shelf importance in my mind is the idea of changing the tide when it comes to marriage. Changing what's acceptable when it comes to marriage. Helping our kids see something differently than that what we've seen 
what we thought was normal. And I'm going to go back to this idea that I shared four or five weeks ago. Everybody in here, everybody in here has experienced the pain of separation, of marital failure in some way or another. And if you haven't experienced it personally, you know people that have. That's a stark contrast that when my dad was growing up in the same exact community in the 1930s, late 30s, early 40s, he knew of one couple that was divorced. One in this whole area. Just one. And it was scandalous. It was a, it was a deal. It was a thing. Like it was a big deal. And, and it wasn't that people were gossiping about them. Or it was just, it stood out so much differently than how everybody else was being raised with a solid, you know, at the very least, a Judeo-Christian background, mostly being raised with the different churches in, in the area. That's a huge contrast in a short period of time to go from one to all of us experiencing or knowing many that's why we need to start putting some walls up. That's why we have to come back against what's going on in our culture and say, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. It's destructive. Absolutely destructive. We need to help our kids go a completely different direction than even we were raised. That's a, for a parent, that's the scariest part of the whole thing. That's the scariest part of the, because you feel like moms and dads, you feel like you're out on an island. How, how do I even do this? How do I even accomplish this? I'll tell you how you accomplish it. You accomplish it by simply engaging with the word of God, letting the word of God rule your life. We like the Jesus that's the Savior part so we don't get hot feet someday. We have to embrace, this is embracing Jesus, the, the, the uh, ruler of our life. Savior and Lord, the word says. This is the Lord part of Jesus ruling in our lives, working through his authors to give us, all of us, and even the little ones that are downstairs, a message of hope, a message of new life, and a message of new direction. I would encourage all of us to really seriously consider. If you have any questions, come and talk to us. Come and talk to us. If you have any questions, talk to people that, that you know, people that are mentors in your life, people that, I'm telling you, there's people in this room that care about you, they care about your uh, current relationships, they care about your future relationships. Many, including myself, many, many of those people that you would go talk to have made lots of mistakes and they've seen the danger, they've lived the danger, they've experienced the pain in their own life. And many of them, many of you that I'm talking about, that I know your story, I know your, your passion, many desire to help somebody else. Don't be estranged from the conversation. Don't back away from the conversation. Jesus wants to heal the church in this particular area. I believe it with everything that I have. But we have to embrace that healing. And we have to embrace that change. And we have to embrace a new sense of direction when it comes to 
relationships. We need to be bold enough to warn those who are fading away, walking away from God's plan. Help them course correct as much as they'll allow. Stand there for them. Stand in prayer. Pray and fast on their behalf. Whatever it takes. I'm personally at the whatever it takes stage. I don't know how many more of you are in that role. As I mentioned when I started into chapter 7, I've seen enough carnage. It's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. So I'm putting my foot down. This message is more about future marriages. I get that. Pete and Josh, they've been tackling this with the young adults, and I'm sure the majority of what's been said today is largely in concert, if not 100% in concert, uh, with what they've been encouraging the young folks in that regard. It's all part of our effort, if you will, or our desire to help young people go in a different direction. But it can't be up to me or Pete, moms and dads. It's up to you. And grandma and grandpas that are out there, (coughs) you're not exempt. You have tremendous influence. You have tremendous ability to encourage and, and to help redirect young people. Use it. Leverage those opportunities to help people that are going sideways or slipping into the cultural norms and cultural mindsets. Use that leverage in a way that will help encourage them back into what the Word of God says. Young people, If you're sitting in this room, young person, I would say I'm looking around at the youngest one and excluding the babies. Most of you within 10 to 15 years will be making all of these types of decisions. The vast majority of you will be. Like this is mission critical for you. 10 years goes by that quick. I was 40 yesterday. My mind says that I'm 25. My body says that I'm 85. (laughs) That's how it works. But doesn't it feel like we were 40 yesterday? It absolutely does, right? It absolutely does. You're 10 years from now till, for 10 years from now, you know, 2031, should the Lord tarry, will go by that quick. Don't miss out on what the Bible is encouraging you to pick up and to grasp and to take hold of and to incorporate into your faith and to trust the Lord in leading in your life through the people he's put in front of you. He's put wonderful people in front of you, young people. Young, wonderful people. Guess what? They probably have as many or more questions than you do about the subject. Let's all discover it together. David, come on up.